you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there's the question. Do you love your work? You know, sometimes when I say that, I almost apologize. I mean, I almost wonder, does that just sound like some little kid's fantasy to love your work? Well, maybe we need to reframe how we're saying it, but do I think it's unrealistic to expect work that is meaningful, fulfilling, joyful, giving you a sense of accomplishment, peace, and profitability? No, I don't think it's unreasonable. I think that's a worthy goal. I think it's short-sighted to settle for anything less than that. So yes, we're going to be talking about how to find or create the work that you love. Well, we're right here at the beginning of a brand new year. What a great time to decide in advance what you want the year to be like. You know, most Americans especially tend to view their lives looking in the rearview mirror. They simply look back at what already happened, having very little sense of control, purpose, or destiny for what's coming in the future. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Hey, we're going to talk about how to be intentional, how to decide and create the future that you want. That's what we're going to be looking at this week. Got some comments on last week's podcast where I talked about how it's so common for the poor people to hate rich people. I know that's a broad generalization. There's certainly exceptions, but the, uh, I read some comments about a recent article where poor people just absolutely hateful, spiteful comments about rich people. If your attitude is such, you're going to continue poor. You can't hate rich people and uh, move toward becoming one of them. Well, I got some responses from you, the listeners, about that, that I want to share some really cool things and some great questions as always. Got some success stories that we want to share. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. Envy and hate are so ugly and self-destructive and blame doesn't pay the bills. That's actually not a question, but one of the comments that I want to look at a little bit more great line in there that I think we can use as kind of a, a mantra for beginning the new year. Here's a question, Dan, I'd like to open an online bookstore. How do I start? Dan is using words like we and us deceptive for a one man business. Interesting question. What resources would you recommend for someone wanting to pursue a lifelong dream of becoming a professional singer? Dan, by the time I get home to my apartment, my bed is calling my name louder than my goals in life. Well, that certainly portrays a common malady. Get busy. Life just kind of drains the energy out of us. How do we have that creative spark to do anything new, to break out of the sameness and the status quo? Here's one, Dan, I now almost don't believe that God has a specific calling for me. Wow. Ouch. How do you break out of that? How do you get a new sense of vision, direction, purpose, mission, destiny? If you feel like life is just beating you down. Well, I like to start each time with a couple quotations and here's a couple that one comes from Michael Altshuler, who's a speaker and trainer. I'm not familiar with him, but the quotation I love the bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. Well, here's another one from Edith Lovejoy Pierce, who is an American poet. Edith says, we will open the book. Its pages are blank. We are going to put words in them ourselves. The book is called Opportunity, and its first chapter is New Year's Day. Well, here we are right at the beginning of a brand new year. What a great time 
to start writing on those blank pages. It's a beautiful way to look at it. We got a little contest going on for a slogan that goes with 2013. Now, if you get my newsletter or blog, you probably see it by the time you hear this podcast, but looking for contributions. What's a slogan? You know, some years are pretty easy. You know, things will be great in 88 or things will be fine in 99 or expect more in 04. But uh, 13 is not as easy to rhyme with, but shoot us your suggestion. You can shoot a suggestion to 2013 at 48days.com. You'll get an autoresponder. If you put in any kind of suggestion, you're going to get access to one of our programs called Get What uh, how to, oh, wow, how to know what you want and get it. There we go. How to know what you want and get it. But a uh, program where I describe the principles of moving through de- defining what it is you want and then how to, how to get that. But just for submitting any selection at all, slogan for 2013. We've got some prizes as well, first and second and third prizes that we're going to be giving away. But we want a slogan, something that'll ring true. You may think that, wow, this is going to be a tough year, 13. I mean, you go to, we were in Chicago last week, and I was joking with Joanne. It takes it doesn't take a lot of time to get from floor 12 to floor 14. We were staying on the 14th floor. Well, it's because there's no 13th floor, as there is not in most hotels. Well, really, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, some airplanes don't have row 13. Like, give me a break. It's it's there. You just don't want to define it. But we've we bought into this superstition that somehow 13 is a is an unlucky number. Well, if you're expecting luck to determine your future, you're very vulnerable anyway. But uh, we're going to make this a great year. So it's 2013. Boom. We just came through 2012. We're looking at 2014. But we expect 2013 to be a wonderful year. We want you to share your principles, your slogan for how this is going to be a great year. So again, shoot in your submission for a slogan for 2013. Just send it to 2013 at 48days.com. Here's some success stories. Usually include a few of these. We got a bunch of them. Here at the beginning of the year, a whole lot of people are reflecting back. Joe, Joe Glass says, Dan, we corresponded about six years ago after I read 48 Days. I've got a background in IT and church music, was considering pursuing a college teaching career in music at the time. Thankfully, that wasn't the Lord's plan. I got my certification. Project management was hired five years ago at a major company. Have continued bivocational music ministry and teaching music workshops on the side. That seemed to be where the Lord wanted me, and it has been fulfilling and financially rewarding, too. This past September, my company announced a new service model, and 300-plus IT people are losing their jobs December 31st, including me. In the meantime, just because I enjoy doing it, I've been leading daily support calls for operating companies across the country, getting good feedback from the locations as well from my CIO. This was not in my current job role. Since no one liked leading these meetings and the managers were sorry to see me leaving the company, I decided to draft a job description for a new support lead position and send it to my senior director. Nothing to lose, right? I included the responsibilities, the benefits, the reasons why I was the one for the job. Well, After two weeks of not hearing from her, she finally contacted me and asked me to embellish the description a bit and send it back to her. Long story short, they created a new position for me using the job description I put together. God's hand was all over this, but I kept thinking back to 48 days and wondering what you would recommend. You see the results now. 
I had been interviewing for other project management positions in Houston, but none had panned out yet. The timing was perfect for this new position. Thanks again for your wisdom. You help when you don't even realize it. Joe, thanks for sharing that. What a great story. Things are changing. 300 people in your department losing their jobs. You crafted a job description for an obvious need that was there. Something you were already doing outside of your job responsibilities, going above and beyond all the characteristics you describe here of how you create a future that you want. And here, now you're going to get hired for the job that you described and created. Congratulations. That's a great story. Let's see. Here's one from Scott that says, thanks for the 48 days to the work you love. I was in a middle management position. It paid well, permitted me to work with a small congregation as a part-time minister on the weekend. The office was dysfunctional and I tried to build up the leadership, but the only thing that kept me sane during the business week was the prospect of ministry on the weekend. I figured I would be taking a pay cut going into full-time ministry. And since I was only on baby step two, I didn't want to destroy my snowball after casting a lot. I turned in my three-month notice for my secure job. They wined and dined me to try to get me to stay. And in two months, I was hired to a wonderful church that is as close to a perfect fit that I could have imagined. My wife and I were amazed to also find that our compensation package surpassed what I had made with my two previous jobs. Thanks for your encouragement, the nuts and bolts for how to chase our calling. Well, again, thanks for that note, Scott. That's a Great note. Where's Scott from? I don't see where he's from here. But anyway, great story about moving forward into an area that he loves and then having all the pieces line up for that. Danny Mullen says, thanks for the inspiration. I was inspired by you. I changed my ringtone also. Every time I get a text message, my phone plays best day ever from SpongeBob show. I will definitely I, I will definitely say every time my phone rings, it makes me smile. Thanks for the inspiration. I shared recently that when my phone rings, it plays, it's a beautiful day. You too. It's a beautiful day. Every time my phone rings or something comes in. And I love that. Just that reminder. It's a beautiful day. One of those little things we can do to decide what kind of a day we're going to have. This morning, Joanna and I were talking about the fact that all this week, all this first week in January, it's predicted to be really cloudy and overcast here in Nashville. And it has been, and it looks like it's going to be that way the rest of the week. And I said, well, just another reminder of how important it is to carry our sunshine inside us. And we have that as kind of a family joke. I used to always talk about that comes from one of the old Stephen Covey principles, but I always reminded the family that no matter what it was doing outside, we carry our sunshine inside us. So one of those trite little things that now I hear my kids passing on to their own kids. Well, last week I had a kind of a, a break in the action, had a themed podcast, which incidentally I got more feedback on that I've gotten in probably all year. And that particular podcast where I talked about the attitude of poor people toward rich people and how self-defeating that is, but how I cringe at hearing the hateful kind of things that poor people say about rich people rather than commending them on having obviously done some things right. So I got a lot of feedback on that. I want to read just a couple of your comments about that podcast from last week. This comes from, from Danny who's no, wait a minute. That was, uh, this comes from, um, I'm not sure I got the names lined up right here. Anyway, Dan, I love the podcast. I grew up in a poor home with a father that had a poor mentality. He preached that because of the system, we were not able to get ahead. 
I later realized that this excuse kept us where we were. He hated his work every day, hated his boss because he was successful. I went off to college, earned an engineering degree, and went to work for a big company in a technical field. I started my career the same way, hating my bosses because they were successful. I got nowhere in my career for many years. As I continued my walk with the Lord, he taught me that I should work as though I was working for him. Also, if we are faithful over little, he will make us ruler over much. I changed my attitude toward work. I started being excellent at my job. I turned off the TV and began reading book after book by great leaders such as Zig Ziglar, Dave Ramsey, and Daniel Lappin. What happened after that point was amazing. I went from making $90,000 a year to $200,000 a year. I was promoted because my boss saw my work ethic and my dedication to excellence, and they trusted me with a sales position. The culture at my company is to serve the customer. I have done exactly that. I get to serve my customers with excellence, and in return, I get rewarded with little green certificates of appreciation and lots of them. I will be worth 500000 by the end of 2013. I'll be worth $1 million in the next four years. How do I know that? Because I don't live for the moment. I'm always planning five to ten years ahead, and the numbers speak for themselves. I will be a first-generation millionaire and proud of it. Dan Miller's books are also next on my list to help me get to the next level by starting my own business and becoming richer even quicker. Just an FYI, my wife and I also teach Bible school and are involved in other charities, so we are not just givers. I mean, we're not just takers, we are givers. Also, my lifestyle has not increased one bit with the increased salary. My two cars are on the average nine years old. What a great story about changing an attitude and more than doubling your income in the same company. And golly, these are the kind of stories we get in here every day. I love them, love them, love them. James says, awesome, awesome, awesome. Listen to the podcast, reaffirms my belief that being successful in America is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Only those who choose to think differently will experience different and better results. It's amazing that people will expend so much energy excoriating the rich, but refuse to expend the same energy to take even the smallest step to better their lives. It's easier to complain than to conquer. If the anti-rich really want to change the world for the better, they would do well to understand the power of wealth for the good it can do. I think Margaret Thatcher, listen, to this. this is a great reference. I think Margaret Thatcher said it best when she expressed that without money, the good Samaritan would only have had good intentions. That's a great line. Without money, the good Samaritan would only have had good intentions. Well, this comes from Danielle. And Frederick, Maryland, who says, I listened to the podcast today. I'm disgusted. I'm not rich, but I'm not spiteful or resentful of what the rich have. And I'm actually envious. They have succeeded where I have not keeping the money in the bank and making it work for them instead of them working for the money. The other people are jealous and resentful in their thinking. Well, a couple more here and I'll move on. These again are comments to last week's podcast where I talked about the attitudes of the rich, how rich people think differently but how common it is for poor people to hate the rich and thus get trapped in continuing to be poor. Dana said this podcast came at just the right time for me. Yesterday I posted a quote from Dave Ramsey on my Facebook. He has said in effect, do poor people things and get poor people stuff. Do rich people things and get rich people stuff. That's a great model. That's essentially the premise used by Tony Robbins in his teaching. Tony's bazillionaire because 
he's taught people how to do essentially one thing, and that is find somebody who's doing what you want to do and model their behavior. Or like Dave Ramsey says, you do poor people things, you'll get poor people stuff. Do rich people things, get rich people stuff. And this is, this is probably my favorite. Again, we got a lot of response. You can go to the podcast link at 48days.com, read down through the comments, but this is perhaps my favorite. Came from Ravens, who says, Dan, thank you so much for airing this podcast. I listened to it twice back to back. I was happy to hear that I have rich people thoughts, although I grew up in a poor household and am poor financially right now after having lost it all a few years ago. I'm very optimistic by nature and I'm certain I will not remain poor forever. Unfortunately, however, I do recognize some of the poor attitudes of people around me. My goal is to maintain a life enhancing money attracting mentality and to avoid the miserable attitudes of the people whose comments you read. How awful were those? Envy and hate are so ugly and self-destructive and blame doesn't pay the bills. So thanks again for the podcast. Now there's the phrase that I absolutely love. Blame doesn't pay the bills. You can moan and groan about whose fault it is and point fingers at the company, the church, the government, the politicians, but blame doesn't pay the bills. I sent that over to Dave Ramsey this morning, incidentally, uh, because I thought it was such a great line. I'm sure you'll hear him using it as well. Blame doesn't pay the bills. Well, thanks again for your comments on last week's podcast. If you haven't listened to that and want to go back and, and hear that, it was one I did with a little trepidation, knowing that that's such a common mentality. There's a lot of animosity toward rich people. You hear it on a lot of the political rhetoric these days. We want to take away what the rich have and give it to the poor. Well, what we want to do, and somebody in here referenced Rabbi Daniel Lappin's book, Thou Shall Prosper, where you get those little green certificates of appreciation. Money is created. Money is not just shared around like a, a confined pizza, where if you take a piece, now there's less for me. No, we create money and we can all do that. So there's no obstacles to all of us having more. Well, I won't go back into that, but if you want to jump back and listen to that episode, I'd be delighted to have you do that. Now to some of the questions from this week. All right, questions. This comes from Cheryl in Raleigh, North Carolina. Dan, what do you know about storecoach.com? I saw it on Fox business and was impressed. I'm interested in owning an e-commerce business in an industry or niche. I am passionate about as part of my plan for having multiple streams of income. I want to know if this would be a good way to get started. I currently work full-time as a website content developer and very familiar with SEO user experience, other tools that would make e-commerce work. I'm high CD on your disc scale. I've been listening to your podcast for a year now. Really love it. You help me make it through each week of cubicle world. Your advice would be greatly appreciated. Well, Cheryl, um, storecoach.com is one of hundreds of sites out there that just help you set up an e-commerce store. So they give you little packages where it makes it really easy. You get a, a site already built, you know, the connections for e-commerce and all that. I mean, it's, it's very reasonably priced. I mean, like six or $700. I mean, it's a very easy way to get plugged in. I'm not opposed to that at all. Let me, let me ask, read another question here and then I'll expand on this just a little bit. This comes, um, the, the question is, here is a website. I won't give the name because this person wants to buy a website, but it's one for designs. It, so it's selling patterns. 
So the website is closing December 31st. The owner is selling the business, a website name in the library of 53 patterns. She built a business herself, has had it for 16 years, no negative reports on her site. It has about 350 to 400,000 visits per year, 85% of referrals. She makes approximately $40,000 a year. She's asking eighteen dollars to $20,000 purchase price. And wondering, reader, ear listeners, wondering what I think about purchasing this. I went and looked at the site and I really like it. It's nicely done. It's a real engaging site. It's an engaging kind of topic where these patterns are coming from. Let's just assume that it's birding, building birdhouses or something like that. Again, so I don't give away the specifics on this because I'm encouraging this listener to go ahead and make this purchase. But here's the caveat. Here's the caveat on the preceding question too. What do I think about storecoach.com? What do I think about buying this little online business now? I think buying this little online business now is a wonderful idea. And having done so, now I think you're about 10% ready to go in the game for having an online business. Having the idea or the product is about 10% of the process. 90% is understanding how to have an online store. How do you get engaged? How do you, you know, you, you need to have some familiarity with SEO, search engine optimization. You don't need to be a pro in that, but you need to at least be familiar with what that means. How do you come up in the rankings? How do you do things that are Google sensitive? How do you have a, a site that is Google sensitive? So when you make changes on there, it gets picked up and noted by people who are doing searches for topics that are related to that. I mean, those, those are all things you need, you need to recognize. Yeah. This is like the the same thing that I tell authors who write a book, do a great job. Now you're 10% finished. 90% has to do with understanding the business side. How do you get in the game? How do you promote position price your product? Same thing is true with multi-level marketing, network marketing. It's a very legitimate business model, I'm not real fond of it for a lot of reasons, but if you want to get involved in that, don't think having a great product is going to be your salvation. That's the key. No, having a great product and a great company that falls in that 10% category. 90% of your success in network marketing is going to be your ability to have people know, like, and trust you, your ability to connect with people, develop relationships. That's what makes that business model successful. So in these questions, it's not a matter of having the technical side in place, having the technique for a website that can handle e-commerce. No, it's your ability then to start with that skeleton and be actively involved in an online business. Here's another one that's kind of the same thing too. Chris from Houston, Texas. Dan, I'd like to open an online bookstore. Would you start by listing on amazon.com or half.com or build your own online store to avoid the extra selling fees? If you're just selling a commodity, I don't know how in the world you're ever going to compete with amazon or half.com or a host of others. If you're just selling books, what's going to be your unique advantage what's going to be your usp your unique selling proposition you can't be cheaper i mean there are millions of books that are for sale on amazon or on half.com you know the back end side for a penny a piece where all people are getting are just a shipping charge 
I mean, that's a really poor business model. I don't know how to encourage somebody in that arena. So if you want to open an online bookstore, it's not a matter of, are you going to just coattail on what Amazon is doing or start your own site? The real key is what, what are you going to do to attract people to the kind of books that you're going to be selling? Are they in a niche area? Do they have to do with bird watching or with raising positive kids or with losing weight? I mean, there has to be some kind of a theme that you're known for. Don't just be a generalist where you just sell books. You'll starve to death. Become known, create, create a site where you become known as the resource, the go-to person for information on this particular category. So you have physical books, you have resources, you have t-shirts and mugs and hats. I mean, all kinds of things that then lend themselves to the interest of people who are interested in that particular area. I mean, I sell a lot of books. It's not because I'm selling books cheaper than Amazon. Lord knows I can't do that. It's because we attract people with a whole lot of free information about how to find your passion, how to find your purpose, how to find work or create work that is meaningful, how to start your own business. I mean, it's because of that kind of content area that we create or we draw people in and then we show resources and can sell a lot of books. But, um, so the real key is, you know, what is your focus for your business? Not how are you going to deliver books? Books ought to be just one resource that you're delivering on the topic area. Once you define, decide what your focused area is going to be. Eric from Chicago says, my question today is one that I haven't heard asked in any of your podcasts. I've always written copy for my website, harmonyinsights.com, newsletters and social media using words like we and us as though I'm speaking on behalf of a larger organization. It's really only me. Suddenly, I'm wondering if words like I or me would foster a more intimate connection with my audience and allow my services to be perceived as more attractive or accessible than those of a larger company. What are your thoughts? Does Harmony Insights have more credibility or professionalism if people feel that I have an entire team behind me? Or could a one-man show with an incredible passion for the disc model behavior be my USP? Thanks for being such an inspiration, Dan. Happy holidays to you and your family. Well, thanks, Eric, for your, your comments and question. I think that it's, there has been a lot of misuse of the terms I, we, and so on. One of the cool things, and this is a really advantage about being online, is that you can give the perception of being a big company. You can give the perception of being another Microsoft or Google or Yahoo or IBM just by the way you frame things even if you're a very small company or one man show in this case. I think that's a really cool thing. At the same time, I don't want to encourage anyone to be deceptive. Now, when I look at what we're doing at 48days.com, now I already said what we're doing and, 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 and I'll be real open about this. I mean, 48 days is a very small company. I have no employees. However, there are a whole lot of people whose contributions are reflected in the 48days.com site and 48days.net. I mean, we have a volunteer board of advisors. There are 14 people that are on that board at this point. So there's a lot of we and us that are happening there, even if we're still a small company. If I write something, I want it to be clearly known that it came from Dan Miller. I don't have other people write copy for me. So if it says Dan Miller, it's something that I wrote. 
But I have people like my daughter, Ashley, my son-in-law, Nathan, Missy, our web designer, I mean, lots of other people who are very involved in helping create content, developing the resources that we have, you know, doing design and all that. So there's a lot of we there. And I think that it, I, I think that it can help you come across as more of a company and perhaps have more credibility. So I, I tend to lean in that direction, but my real reason for saying that is because I don't think any business can be successful with just one person involved anyway. So I think that even if it's just you delivering the services, there is a lot of we and us behind the scenes that are making things work. And I think that it's reasonable for you to, to highlight those, let people know who those people are, what they do, how they contribute and go with the, uh, with the, we and the us kind of mentality. Great question. Emily says, Emily says, what resources do you recommend for someone wanting to pursue a lifelong dream of becoming a professional singer? Do you suggest going back to school or finding a mentor? Any good books that might help? Wishing you and your family happy new year. Thanks for all you do. Emily, I live in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. So this area is laden with people who want to be professional singers. Now, when you say professional singer, I mean, that covers a lot of ground. If you want to be in the next movie version of Lame Is, Joanne went to see that yesterday, came home raving about it. You know, that's one kind of professional singer. If you want to be part of your local opera house or part of your local symphony house, that's one thing. If you want to do country songs and you want to sing and show up in the little honky tonks up and down second Avenue and Broadway here in Nashville. I mean, you walk up and down the streets. It's just a cacophony of sound. You just fade from one song to the next. You can go on and on and on because every open door, there's somebody inside there singing. If you fly into Nashville airport, BNA, if you fly into there, you can't go from your gate to pick up your bags without walking past multiple places where there are people singing live singers pretty much any time of day or night. I've been amazed sometimes walking through there at midnight and there's somebody sitting there singing, a, singing, playing a guitar, singing. I mean, there are a lot of things that people do to become professional singers, but this is not a concise academic logical path at all. My goodness, you look at what people like Justin Bieber have done or Taylor Swift, who blew onto the scene here. I mean, that's not a matter of where she got a degree, where she went to school or what she studied or what books she read. There's a whole lot of other factors that go into that. I mean, take somebody like Toby Keith, who just blast onto the scene as rabble rousing cowboy, bar hopping, beer drinking dude. But he sings songs about all of those things. And it's made him extremely famous and extremely wealthy as well. My encouragement would be get in the game, do whatever you have to. So what kind of singing do you want to do? I mean, you want to sing at churches, get involved in the church choir. So you have opportunity to sing. I mean, we went to Christ church here in Nashville for years, and there's a whole lot of people that came out of there who are now really well known as professional singers. Guy Penrod would be one. Most of the members of the Gaither vocal band came out of Christ Church at one point or another and came through there. Michael English, who's currently in the band, came out of Christ Church Choir. Guy Penrod did the same, has gone on now to his own, his own TV shows and albums. 
So that's a great starting point. That's a great launching point. There are books. I mean, let me give you the titles of a, of a couple here. How to Be a Working Musician, A Practical Guide to Earning Money in the Music Business by Mike Levine. I mean, that's certainly one. Here's one, Music Business, All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald Passman, the well-known resource book for being a professional singer. Music, Money, and Success by Jeffrey Brayback and Todd, Jeffrey and Todd Brayback. I mean, you can check those out. Uh, check out, there's a brand new book that Dolly Parton just wrote. I'll order it immediately when it comes out. Dream more, dream more. Dolly Parton, that would be a great inspiration for you wanting to be a professional singer. I mean, Dolly Parton grew up as one of many children. I don't remember what it was. It was like 11 or 12 kids. And she just wanted to sing. And she certainly had no open doors, but she was just persistent about it, determined that she was going to dream more, even if other people were knocking her dreams. And all of a sudden, you know where we go with that. And I apologize. That volume was up a little higher there than I expected. I just clicked on that. Dolly Parton, 9 to 5. You know what? I'll, I'll get that book this week if it's out already. I'm not sure if it's being delivered yet. Yeah, it looks like it is. Dream more. I'll get that book. I may even uh, do an interview with Dolly. She's a, a local Tennessee gal. Just as um, open and gracious as can be a phenomenal business lady, but she has taken her desire to be a professional singer and taken it to the top. Maybe you can do the same, but yeah, get, get that. Get Dolly Parton's book, Dream More. Well, let me move on here. Jim from McHenry, Illinois says, Dan, I changed careers from being a safety consultant in the commercial insurance industry to being a gardener at a public garden seven years ago. I needed a career where I traveled less as I had just had my second daughter, did not want to be away from home three weeks a month. I took a big pay cut, but have enjoyed the more relaxed environment and work. I started a blog to promote my side jobs, but I don't have time to do side work and I'm chronically tired. My commute is over one hour each way. I'm not sure I want to do side work, but it might just be the exhaustion. My personality is a high S and C with the desire to always learn new stuff. I just seem stuck and unfocused about what I should do next. Any words of advice? My website is jimanderson.net. Yeah, I've got some advice, Jim. I went to your website. Beautiful website. Because I love the things you've done with trees. Jim has as his tagline, garden consultant and aesthetic pruner. Aesthetic pruner. Is that a great term or what? Garden consultant. But I love what you are showing here in being a thoughtful garden designer and then pruning trees, taking areas that are wooded and massaging those so they turn into something really beautiful. I love what you're doing. Man, I need you to come down and give me advice on my nine acres. Here, here's the deal. I've got a neighbor right next door, right on the other side of the fence line of mine. He was a New York City cop. So he moved, he and his wife, city people moved down here. Now they're country folk. They have 
chickens and ducks. They bring us chicken and duck eggs. It's funny. They, they cannot bring themselves to eat the duck eggs. <laughs> hey, I'm an old farm kid. Bring them on. So Joanne uses duck eggs and all kinds of recipes. They're wonderful. But anyway, they have chickens and ducks. They had alpacas, but then the alpacas were mean to the chickens. So they gave the alpacas away. They've had pigeons. They're doing all the kind of things to be country folk. But he took this seven acres that he had that was fairly wooded and just undeveloped in the back and came in with over literally over 150 truckloads of fill, concrete and asphalt. They ripped the trees out, burned trees, saved just a handful, but essentially cleared it out, filled it so it's all level, covered it with topsoil, and now it's like a park back there. But to me, it's so unnatural. It just makes me cringe. And he kept asking me, don't I want these guys to come over on my property when they had the, the machines out there that just eat everything up in their path and just destroy it? And I said, no, 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 no. I want the area on my 10 acres that I have right next to him to be a haven for rabbits and squirrels and all the things that hang out over here, the deer and so on. At the same time, I'd love to do a little manicuring of those 10 acres that I've got. I'd love to, where the areas that we have nature trail back through there, I'd love to just refine it a little bit so it's not just unattended brush and weeds and vines and thorns and thistles and everything. I'd love to massage that a little bit. Jim, you look like the guy to lay out a plan for me. Man, I'd love your expertise. Now, I set that up a little strongly in terms of my own desire for your expertise because I think there's a whole lot of people like Dan Miller out there. I know where I live here in Williamson County, just south of Nashville, Tennessee. There's a whole lot of what I would call urban farmers. Guys like me who like to be next to the land. We don't want to live in the middle of concrete and asphalt and go to work you know, in those high rise buildings, we want to be connected with the land. We've got too much property to just mow as grass. And so we have these areas that are kind of undeveloped, but really need to be refined to be more beautiful. And a whole lot of people like me who would be delighted to pay for services for somebody to do that every spring. And as a matter of fact, right now in January, it's a time when I walk out and look and I start dreaming about, okay, what do I want to do this next year? Now, there have been some areas where I have cleared out some old scrub trees and things, but I always cringe at just going in wholesale, you know, cutting things down because I love trees. I don't know what a lot of them are, so I don't want to just wholesale cut down trees and just clear things out. But somebody with your skills as a garden consultant and aesthetic pruner, the kind of things that I'm seeing on your site, jimanderson.net, I love what you're doing. I think you could turn that into a very profit, profitable venture. Now, this implies being then an independent consultant where you have to do the marketing and do the traveling to whoever wants to get your services, develop your website so that you have things on there that monetize your website more effectively than what you've got now. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do. But that kind of assumes that you're going to move out of the role of having a traditional job. I don't know if you want to do that or not. I cringe when I hear you saying that you go to a job that you took so that you'd have more life balance, more family time, and yet you have over an hour commute each way to your job. I mean, that kind of uh, halfway accomplishing the goal that you described that you wanted. You quit a job to be 
more available to your family. And now you have over an hour commute each way, which you know, I, don't, I can understand you being exhausted when you come home, maybe not wanting side work. But I think your skills lend themselves really well to being a highly compensated gardener, tree pruner, tree planter in taking those small areas for people like I have not. So it's not just growing a vegetable garden, but so it's turning a small area into something that really is attractive. Your website conveys the idea that you're able to do that. Yeah, then why don't I tell you what, why don't you come down for our innovate conference? You're in McHenry, Illinois. Wow. That's up just on the other side of Chicago. You ought to come down for our innovate conference in April. It's April. Well, I'm going to, bungle here because i don't have the dates in front of me but anyway it's a thursday and a friday you gotta come down tell you what i'll give you free access i'll give you free registration to the innovate conference and we're going to be talking about taking artistic creative skills just like these and turning those into real income streams going to have mike hyatt here i'm going to have chad jeffers here as guitarist with carrie underwood um, Dorsey McHugh, internationally known artist is going to be here along with my wife, Joanne. They're going to talk about artistic things. Going to have Lee and Vanessa Lentz here. They're magicians. They're going to do some amazing things right here in front of you in the sanctuary. But talk about how they have leveraged that into being highly pra- paid consultants for introducing new products into commercial exhibit shows and so on. But anyway, we're going to have a blast those two days, but Jim, you can come on down. I'll give you free registration. You come down and then spend Saturday down here helping me create a plan for my 10 acres. How's that for a deal? I, I just like what you're doing. I like a lot what you're doing. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Crystal from Antioch, Tennessee. I'm currently working one full-time job and two part-time jobs. I'm doing this because I'm working Dave Ramsey's plan. I end up working approximately 60 to 65 hours a week and I'm getting tired. Okay, one full-time and two part-time jobs, 60, 65 hours a week, getting tired. I can understand that. How can I better motivate myself to work on the things that I love when usually at night my first choice is to just sleep? I spend all day thinking about the things I want to get done and accomplish, but by the time I get to my apartment, my bed is calling my name louder than my goals in life. Well, Crystal, I can understand that. If you're working 60 to 65 hours a week, you are going to be exhausted and you're already going to be borrowing from success in other areas of your life. You're going to be sacrificing success, personal development, relationships, health, spiritually. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. You're probably already borrowing on the success of those to be working 60, 65 hours a week. Now, here's my response to what you're asking. And I, it's not an unexpected that your, your bed is calling your name louder than your goals. Keep your goals clearly identified, though. And if you're following Dave Ramsey's plan, I have to believe that what you're doing now is a temporary state of affairs. You don't want to continue working 60 to 65 hours a week, just month in, month out. I mean, I assume that's a crush so that you knock out some debt and you get out of that habit very, very quickly. So if, if you think you're going to have to work two part-time and one full-time job for the next five years, you're going to be worn out, exhausted, depleted, and diminished in so many ways. That has to be a short-term thing. You know, maybe three to six months that you do that. 
so that you can then be investing time and energy in other areas of your life where you do want success, where you do have clearly identified goals. I mean, this whole idea about having a successful life is not just about having your finances in order, and it's not just about having work that you love. It's about a whole lot of things. It's about having family relationships that are strong. It's about being in great shape physically. I mean, this morning I was on the treadmill, hit the treadmill. Yesterday was New Year's Day. We played and did stuff all day long with friends, hung out. But this morning, brand new day, boom, I'm excited. Hit the treadmill, listen to a couple podcasts. I also have the, I just ordered the Pimsleur Spanish series. I'm determined to learn conversational Spanish this year. I mean, it's ridiculous. I have people around here all the time, our yard guys and construction guys and people in town who speak nothing but Spanish. I'm not going to belittle them because they don't know English. Big deal. I ought to learn Spanish. So I'm going to learn Spanish. So every 10, the next 10 days, the program is that I commit to spending 30 minutes every morning for 10 days. And with that, they claim that I can be conversational. Well, I'll let you know how that's working, but I'm going to do exactly that. So this morning, first 30 minutes on a treadmill, 30 minute session, first lesson, in Spanish. I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Anyway, I love this time of year. Now you ought to have clearly identified goals for what you want to accomplish this year. If those are totally obliterated because you're working 80 hours a week, just so you can eliminate some debt, you're going to have a hard time feeling like this year is a success. So that's a big compromise to make. Make sure that if you're working long hours, that you're doing it to quickly get back to where you have a more balanced system, more balanced schedule. Well, Christine says, let me end with this. I'm a 36 year old vice president of a successful insurance company. I earn a great salary at a good job that I hate. Yes. I feel ungrateful. Just saying that (laughs) I earn a great salary at a great, good job that I hate. Okay. I've waited since I was a teenager for God to show me my life's calling to date. He hasn't that I know of. I've gone along in my career waiting for him to direct me to something that helps others and makes me happy. I've read many books on my personality type, putting my strengths to work and finding my perfect career to no avail. I now almost don't believe that God has a specific calling for me and that I can be truly happy in my work. I've been talking myself into just getting my work done and being satisfied with that. Help, Dan. What else can I do to find my calling that I haven't already done? This is from Kingston, Jamaica. Well, Christine, I love your question. I love your honesty about this. But now here's how this can work. Doing things that are responsible, that are practical, that are realistic can in fact keep us from discovering our passion. Now that's a broad generalization. Let me unpack that back up just a little bit. You described, you know, growing up, going through school, you found a career, it pays well, you're being responsible, you've just stayed there and you keep waiting for your passion, your calling to show up. I'm saying it may never happen. Now, we, we don't want to too quickly just blame God for what's happening here either. This is a process where we have enough tools to get in the game, get engaged and figure this out. Looking at the road markers, the signs along the way that God has already provided for us, but those come from getting engaged in things. As I am getting feedback from people reading Wisdom Meets Passion, my latest book with Thomas Nelson, written in conjunction with my son, Jared. I'll send you a copy of that, Christine. Wisdom meets passion. You need to read that because as I 
get feedback about people discovering their passion, I become more and more convinced we don't discover our passion or our calling by simply waiting for that. We don't discover that by just sitting in a rock somewhere and hoping that God hits us with a lightning bolt. Here's your passion. Here's your calling. Here's your purpose, your mission, your destiny. We get that by experimenting with a variety of things. So you discover and develop your passion. And really the developing is more significant than discovering passion. Doesn't come to us full blown. We discover it by going to Haiti where you've never been before by reading books that you've never read before, by inviting people of different faith into your home and having dinner together, by stretching yourself in a variety of ways. And all of a sudden you start to see some recurring themes where, aha, it's when I'm doing this that I really feel alive. It's when I'm doing this that my heart sings. We then develop that into a full-blown passion or calling. We develop our calling by recognizing those little things about ourselves that start to line up and display given patterns. So developing passion or calling is a more critical component than discovering. Discovering is still going to be just a little tiny seed that you recognize. It's not going to come to you like a a tsunami wave that overwhelms. It's just going to be a little seed. But then by spending time there, we develop it. So I'm going to send you a copy of Wisdom Meets Passion. And I want you to look for those little recurring themes and things that you are drawn to, recognizing those are legitimate seeds of what your passion, your calling, your purpose really are. Well, hey, I've enjoyed this time together. Glad to be back into the regular questions. I will do some themed podcasts based on your feedback about those. So we'll do some of those as we go forward into this year. But we're going to continue the once a week, 48 minute format for the most part. You got a question, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You can either speak it or write it right there. I'll be happy to consider that for an upcoming show. Have a great week. Be convinced this is going to be your best year ever as you find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable.